Well, good morning, church family. It's always good to be together in the house of the Lord. Amen. And so last week, uh, I was once again moved to hear about all the work that's being done in Guatemala. We know that the church isn't just in the United States. It's not just in New Bedford, but it's throughout the world. Amen. And God's doing amazing work. And uh, we were able, through your donations and generosity, we had lunch with uh, Renzo and Emma, and we presented them with a check for $5,000. And so they were in tears and incredibly grateful, and I told them we would extend that, that gratitude, letting you folks know, um, but it was just a blessing, and if you know how much $5,000 would do anywhere, it goes a lot further, believe me, in Guatemala, and so it was exciting to be part of that, and, and so the title of the message this morning is, What is Your Excuse? And I want to qualify that by saying, that's not me asking you what your excuse is. What I believe, that's the Lord asking each of us, what is our excuse? What are the reasons we give for not connecting like we ought to connect, for not being available for God's work the way he wants us to, for not serving? See, what are we doing with our time, our talents, and our treasures? Because God's not going to ask me what I did with somebody else's gifts. He's going to ask me what I did with what he gave me. I'm responsible. You're responsible for what he's given you. Each, of, each one of us have giftings and abilities, have resources, have time. And here's the thing, we need each other, amen? Pastor Ken, from the beginning of our conversations about merging, the theme, the two words that both came, you know, from the Spirit of God, we both said we're better together. And we are, church, we are better together, each one of us. So today is our communion service. And the word communion, the koinonia, it's deep fellowship with God and with one another. It's, it's a bond that goes beyond even family. It's a, a deepness, an intimacy. It's going through life together. It's mourning with those who mourn and rejoicing with those who rejoice. It's those kind of relationships where what affects one of you affects me and vice versa. And that's what we're called into. And so if that doesn't ring true in your life, if you don't feel that sense of community, I just want to ask Why? Because now more than ever, there are opportunities to get involved. There are opportunities to serve. There are opportunities to show up. Last night, as, as Willie mentioned, there were huddle-ups. It was the second one. There's one left. And huddle-ups is just one way to get together, to kind of get to know each other so we can start our community groups in the fall. And community groups are just, just getting together with a group of believers, studying the Bible, working out what it means to be a Christian. And that's necessary. That's not optional. There's no such thing as a lone wolf Christian, right? We need each other. We need to be encouraging each other, sometimes correcting each other, but we need to be walking together. And so often what happens, it reminds me of, you know, if you ever watch those nature shows and like when the lions are hunting for the gazelles, right? It's always the one that's isolated, away from the pack. That's always the one he goes after. And the enemy wants to isolate us. When we're going through stuff, he wants to keep us away from connection. The one thing that will keep us safe spiritually that we need. And so I would encourage you to get connected. Most of the time, it's simply a lack of commitment to show up. There's other things that happen. And I don't know about you, but I've preached before 
So many times in my own life where, you know, maybe you just feel like sleeping in a little bit or something comes up or, you know, well, I did this and maybe, and then you do show up. You do kind of push yourself and then you're so blessed. You say, Lord, thank you that I'm here. Maybe right now you're here and you just barely made it. Well, I pray you're going to be blessed by this service today. See, people need to hear your testimony. Your testimony is not for you, right? Your testimony is for other people. And then on a practical level, I mean, we need help with the tech team. We need help with the kids' ministry, ushers and greeters. There's a place to connect, and many hands make for light work, right? So the more people are serving, the easier it is. And so you can, you can spread that out, and you serve, you show up, you get to know people. You connect, and so it's important. It's not optional. I'm not telling you this to discourage you. I'm not telling you this to make you feel guilty. I'm telling you this because I don't want you to miss out. Amen? Because I've, I've lived my life as a Christian who just went to church, and then, you know, I had that compartmentalized life, right? I had my church life, and then I had my work life, all those other things. Jesus wants you to have your life life, and he wants to be the center of all of it. Your work life, your family life, everything. So don't put him in a Sunday morning box. Let's be real. I've said before, the worst thing you can do is play church. The worst thing you can do is pretend things are okay when they're not okay. We need each other. If you're struggling, reach out to somebody. Ask for prayer. Have, you know, pick up the phone. Call one of the pastors. We want to do this together. We don't lack resources or space right now. We need workers. Amen? James 4.8 says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And often we stop there because that's kind of comforting, right? You know, we like that. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. And then we just stop, and then, isn't that nice? It makes us feel good, and that's good. That's okay. Nothing wrong with that. But the scripture doesn't end there. It continues, and this is what it says. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. In the first service, Bernice was there to say, ouch, for us. Ouch. Right? I mean, that, you know, we like the draw near to God, he'll draw near to us. It's kind of warm and fuzzy. But that, you know, that, that double-minded stuff, I mean, that's, that kind of hurts, right? Does it sound harsh? See, too often we say we need answers, but oftentimes we have the answers. We just need to apply them in our lives. We need the courage to show up. So here's the message version. And again, a lot of times it's helpful. The message is a transliteration, but I like the way some, sometimes it says things. And particularly here, you're going to hear it. So this is what it says, James 4, 8 through 10. So let God work his will in you. Yell aloud no to the devil and watch him scamper. Say a quiet yes to God and he'll be there in no time. Quit dabbling in sin. Purify your inner life. Quit playing the field. Hit bottom and cry your eyes out. The fun and games are over. Get serious. Really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. It's only then you'll be on your feet. Some of us need to get down on our knees so God can lift us up onto our feet. Amen? Quit playing the field. Stop with one foot in the church and one foot in the world. Stop thinking you'll have satisfaction and joy, that you'll find fulfillment a part of the very one who is satisfaction and joy and fulfillment. 
Stop storing treasures on earth where they'll fade. Nobody cares how much money you have in your bank account. Nobody cares what kind of car you drive. But people really care if you're kind. People need now more than ever hope. You know, I, I was asked to attend my 30th high school reunion last night. And I wasn't going to go. And a, and a good friend of mine, he said, you know, you should come. He's probably the only person in the world that I would have gone with. So I said, you know what, I'll, I'll show up. And then the, the girl who was, who was organizing the event, she reached out and she said, you probably get asked this a lot, but would you mind praying? And I thought, here you go, God. So, you know, what pastors do, I wrote some stuff down. So she introduced me, and I walked up there, and I started by saying, I know they don't have it, but if they did, I would have been voted least likely to pray at the 30-year high school reunion. You know what I'm saying? And then I said, but there's two words in my life I've been become increasingly fond of over the years, but God. And I shared a little bit about my testimony and the hope I have in Jesus. And I prayed that each person there would know that hope. See, Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first, not second or third, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Every engagement, every encounter, every conversation is an opportunity for us to testify of the goodness of God in our lives. And probably a dozen people came up to me after and they said, thank you. Even, you know, people that were rough and, you know, they're in there. And, you know, I went there and it was, you know, this wild bunch still. And I still, I, I stood up and I shared my testimony and I prayed for everybody there. And people came up to me and they said, thank you. A couple of them said, you know, I'm watching your services. Keep doing what you're doing. Because people need hope. I shared in the first service last year, 93,000 people died of an opiate overdose. That's almost double the amount of people lost in the entire Vietnam War, to put that in perspective. And that's just one ailment. That's just addiction. Whether it's drugs or whether it's anxiety, depression, whatever sin people are trapped in, whatever struggles they're going through, at the core of it, it's because they don't have hope. And church, there's no plan B. We are God's plan to reach the world. We are the bearers of hope. And if we don't do it, who will? Because I think that we think, well, somebody else is going to do that. You know when God does remarkable stuff, it's not because we're remarkable people. It's because we're simply willing to go, here I am, Lord. Use me. Use my testimony. Use my experiences. I'm willing to show up. I had somebody say to me once, aren't you afraid, you know, you go up and you speak in front of people that you're going to look stupid? And I said, I've, I looked stupid for 35 years of my life. Everywhere I went, I will gladly be a fool for Jesus. We've got to show up. And you know, more often than not, if, if you walk into a situation, you said, Lord, I'm going to have this conversation. I'm going into this situation. Would you just be with me? Would you just guide me? He's going to. He's going to do that. 
See, I didn't want to go to my high school reunion. I had no plans to go into my high school reunion, but the Lord knew I was going to be at that reunion and knew I was going to have an opportunity to testify of the goodness of God. So here's the challenge. See, most of us would rather live lives of success instead of significance. And we're going to see in a video we're going to watch, we're going to see that disgust. But I like the definition. I like what he says. There's nothing wrong with success. It's great to be successful. But success is all about you. Significance, that's about other people. And so what do you want to give your life to? Francis Chan said, our greatest fear should not be a failure, but in succeeding in things in life that don't really matter. Christmas Eve of 1910, General William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, was an invalid. He was near the end of his life. It was impossible for him to attend the annual Salvation Army ball. And someone near the general suggested that he send a telegram to be read at the opening of the convention to the many Salvation Army soldiers in attendance as an encouragement for their many hours of labor, serving others throughout the holidays and through the cold winter months. And so Booth agreed. Funds were limited. Telegra telegrams are charged by the word. And so to ensure as much money as possible would still go to the needy, General Booth decided to send a one-word message. And so he searched his mind and reviewed his many years of ministry, seeking the one word that would summarize his life, that would summarize the mission of the army, that would encourage the soldiers to continue on. And if you're a Christian, you're in the army, and we're soldiers for Jesus, amen? The Great Commission is not the great suggestion. It's a commandment. Jesus says, go. Some of us have just stayed. And the rest of it, you can't make disciples. You can't give and serve. You can't live as a Christ follower if you're not following. If you haven't done the first step to go. When the thousands of delegates met, the moderator announced that Booth could not be present due to his failing health. And so gloom and pessimism swept across the convention. Until the moderator announced that Booth had sent a telegram to be read at the start of the first session. He opened the message and read just one word. Others. General Booth. Others. I read this description in a devotion and I really like this. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes everything that Jesus did for you real in your life. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes everything that Jesus did for you real in your life. But are we walking in the Spirit or are we walking in the flesh? Are we trying to determine how we want things to be and look and, and we'll follow when things go our way or are we following Him, allowing Him to lead. See, we need to surrender to Jesus and trust Him to salvation, but we also need to submit daily to the Spirit working in our lives. And so the message this morning is just really continuing what, what it seems like to be one long conversation of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. As individuals in our lives and then corporately together, what does it mean to follow Him? To show the love of Jesus within the church family and then outward as we engage the world. We talked about connection at the huddle ups 
And they talked last night about growing and serving. And if our, our lives aren't marked by service, we can't grow and mature. Jesus served. He said he came not to be served, but to serve to the point that he gave his life. And some of us, myself included, sometimes we can't give a few hours. And then we want to we wanna feel that that's okay. We're going to talk next week about some of the reasons, some of the excuses we make. But to be a disciple means to be a servant. See, all of the Christian life can be summed up in John 3.30, the notion of die to self, live for Christ, more him, less me. And the NIV, it says, he must become greater, I must become less. In the King James, it says, he must increase, but I must decrease. In the New Living Translation, it says, he must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. See, it doesn't matter the translation, the message is the same. Are we becoming more like Jesus or not? If we're honest, some of us are so in love with ourselves that we know, you know, we're good being us. We don't want to change. Change is part of what it means to be a Christ follower. More him, less me. And so, Father, I pray now that you convict us where we need conviction, that you challenge us where we need to be challenged, that you embolden us, rebuke us. Lord, discipline us. Father, remove the excuses. Change us from within, God. Meet us in this place. Open, soften hearts, God, that we would be open to your will, not just ours, like Jesus' prayer in the garden. Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. Father, have your way in this message. Let me be a vessel. Remove me. Let me not get in the way of this message to your children, Father. You do what only you can do through your spirit and your word and your power. And help us to receive in humility. Help us to surrender to you in Jesus' name. We're going to watch a video right now. He won the Pulitzer Prize for this photo. Four months after this, he chose to end his life. This young girl, she's on her way from her village to a feeding center, and she's so malnourished, and she's moving so slow that this vulture is waiting to attack. So the young man that took this picture, he, he wanted to do good, he just, he wasn't sure, so he was told because of some of the sicknesses in the areas, don't touch anybody, don't do anything, and so he didn't. He didn't. He did nothing. Because apparently the cost was too much. Four months after this, he chose, he chose to, to end, end his life. life. You see, you see, every, every single, single one of us, we have, we have a chance, chance to be successful in life. life. And, and you know what? I hope you are. I really do. I, I hope you're successful. There's nothing wrong with being successful. But success is just about you.
but significance is about other people. You see, that man that took that picture, he had success. That's one of the greatest honors a photographer could ever have. But obviously it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. So what's gonna be enough for you? You see, success is great. You can do a lot of things with it, but it's not gonna be fulfilling. But when you have a life of significance and you can never forget that sense of urgency, that it's not about your timeline, it's about their timeline. While you might have 30, 40, 50 years, they have days, minutes, moments. She had moments, but it wasn't worth it to go pick her up. It wasn't worth it to give her a hug. Yeah, I won a Pulitzer Prize, but what does it matter? What does it matter? It doesn't. And I think the greatest tragedy in life is we're gonna look back one day and say, I was successful in things that don't matter. I want you to be successful, but more than anything, I want you to be significant and that will be fulfilling. That will be life-changing. It will be life-giving. But I wanna encourage you, don't let it stop now. Don't let it stop here. There's a world that needs you. There's a family that needs you. There are people that need you. It's my biggest goal in life. It's to stand on the line every day, all day. In this room, I believe you're gonna have a life of significance. Be powerful, right? See, there's people that need you. People in your life that need you. And I read a quote the other day, and it says, you don't know, you never know the last time. There's going to be a last time that you speak to everybody in your life, and you don't know when that is. And we got to show up. It's not the pastor's job to minister. It's all of us as Christians' job to minister. And so last week we heard from missionaries. And there was a volcano. And everybody left the area. Even the government didn't go in the area. And they had every reason not to go. They were already doing rewarding work in the community that they were in. But they knew nobody was going. And so the Lord spoke to them. And it's not about what he speaks. That was their context. We have ours. But the difference is when the Lord spoke to them, they listened. And so when even the government was running away, they ran to where the volcano was. Because they said, if we don't, who will? And instead of saying, well, somebody else will do that. I heard somebody say once, don't let what you can't do stop you from doing what you can do. Don't let the temptations of the world and the desire for comfort rob you from the fullness of life. From what it means to live a life of abundance. See, Jesus' metric was one of service. Was one of love. Was one of what do you do for the least of these. For those society discards. For the drug addicts and the prostitutes and the outcasts. For those people that nobody wants to touch. 
you leave it to someone else to reach them. And I'm not saying we're all called to the same thing, but you better believe we're all called to something. And so God's not going to say, what did you do in somebody else's context with somebody else's gifts? God's going to say, what did you do where I placed you with what I gave you? And I don't know about you, but sometimes in my life I'm embarrassed by the answer. I'm embarrassed that I find myself complaining about little things that go wrong in my life when there's a couple so dedicated to Jesus, they're running into an area that's unsafe from a volcano. I'm convicted of that. And I'm not going to sit here and feel guilty and feel bad and feel ashamed, but instead I'm going to feel convicted and I'm going to feel responsible to take an honest look at my life and my priorities. And I want to make sure that they're God's priorities in my life and not Brian's priorities. See, my father, when he was dying of cancer, wrote a letter and I've read it before. I'm not going to read it now. Maybe I will one day. But at 56 years old, dying of cancer, he wrote a letter to God. My father was an atheist most of his life. He had gotten saved four years before he died. And he wrote a letter thanking God for all the things that he was thankful for. And one of the things, he said, thank you for letting me see the beauty in the little things. And I think so often we're so distracted, we're running so hard, we're so busy, and we're so caught up that we miss his creation, his beauty, his relationships. We hear so much noise that we miss that still small voice, and we wonder why our lives are in chaos. We stopped listening to Jesus. I am challenging you, not because I want you to feel bad, but because in my heart of hearts, I don't want you to miss out. I don't want you to play church. I don't want you to show up on a Sunday and pretend everything's okay when you're falling apart inside. I don't want these altars to be empty when all of us are broken. I want this to be a place where we can come and say, I'm hurting. I need prayer. Would you help me? And so we're a larger group, and so the whole notion of community groups is just small groups of people who love Jesus, who, who read the Bible, and whose messy lives become intertwined because God, if we let him, will make something beautiful of the mess of our lives. I've seen him do it again and again. If he could take the cross the most horrible thing to happen in all of human history, and he can bring about the redemption of mankind through that, don't you think he can redeem your mess and my mess? But we got to let him. We can't pretend. Don't miss out. Go deeper. That's the takeaway. If you feel like, you know, I am connected, I am serving, good, then go deeper. Because there's nobody in this room that those words don't apply to. There's nobody in this room that those two words don't apply to. Go deeper. That is what God is inviting each of us into. No matter how much you love them, go deeper. 
because he has more for you. When he takes things, it's to replace them with better things in the spiritual. See, people are coming to know Jesus. I'm so excited to be part of this church family. Each week it seems like there's a new person saying, hey, this is my first time here. Praise God. People are coming to know Jesus, maturing in the faith. People have asked about getting baptized. If you haven't been baptized, talk to one of the pastors. I think right now we have three people we haven't forgot about you. We're looking at that. But if you'd like to be baptized, let us know. Don't sit on the sidelines. Get into the game. Commit. We're looking to do a weekly prayer time, just a time where we're open for an hour. One of the pastors is here to pray with you, but it's not even just about that. It's just about you having an opportunity to come here. The youth group had made some beautiful posters, and they had some scriptures, and they had some questions and thoughts to focus. And we're going to have them made up more permanently, and they're going to be on each wall, four stations on each side. And we're going to have a weekly time Come for an hour, come for 10 minutes, stay for two hours where we can just come to a place to hear that still small voice, to step away from the chaos that is the world and to be prayed for or to pray for others. You know, it's awesome, it's exciting. We had 37 people show up for volleyball last week. That's awesome. And we have fellowship, we have a great time. And I asked myself, would 37 people show up to pray? Jesus says this, the message to his church at Laodicea, known as the lukewarm church, the only church in the letters in Revelation that didn't have anything good going for it. The rest of them were commended, but this church had become so indifferent, so nominally Christian, that it was just a rebuke. And now Laodicea was a wealthy town. It was famous for the soft black wool it produced, the ancient medicine, particularly an eye salve, and all three industries, finance, wool, and the eye salve, came into play in this letter, as did its water supply. Its water supply, the aqueducts had to travel so far underwater that by the time the water got there, it was tepid. It was useless. It was dirty. And so Jesus was speaking directly into their context, and they knew exactly what he was talking about saying there's, there's no use for you anymore. I can't use you and my church because you're not hot or cold. See, they had become, they had become comfortable. They had chosen their comfort over serving God. Revelation 3, verse 16 says, So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. You know how many times I talk to people, how you doing? I'm all set. How are things? I'm good. I don't need anybody. Got everything under control. Really? What's your secret? Because I am not all set, and I do not have everything under control. This independent mindset. And Jesus says this, you don't realize, but you're wretched, you're pitiful, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. So I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. And white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. And then he says this, because we don't like that. We don't like, it's like, Jesus, why are you talking down to me? Jesus, that's not very nice. It's not very loving, Jesus. 
You're mean. You're being mean. Be a little bit nicer, right? Because that's what we like. We like the comforting stuff. But then he says this. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. That means he's telling us this, as it applies, because he loves us. Not because he doesn't love us, but because he loves us and because he knows that we can become indifferent, that we can be adapted to our own comfort overall. Well, I, I would do that, but you know, it would cost me something. It, you know, it, eh. we had a situation once. We tried to help somebody. In fact, we gave them a place to live. And what they did is they stole a whole bunch of things from the house. And so we had to go to the pawn shops and buy the stuff back because if we would have filed a police report, that person would have been arrested. And we didn't want him to be arrested. We wanted him to be helped. And so after this had happened and I was working on the situation, somebody said to me, well, I guess we'll never do that again. And I said, wait a minute. I'm not saying don't be smart and use discretion, but who told you that when you serve or when you give or when you help that there isn't a cost? I read a quote the other day that says, we don't love people for us, we love people for them. Nobody said the results are always going to be favorable. Now, I'm, I'm not going to mention this individual's name, but I'm sure he wouldn't mind if, if I did. But that guy is now the father of triplets serving Jesus. And that was one step in his journey where he was loved, where it wasn't deserved, but he was loved and shown the grace and mercy of God. And he's a different man because of that. Now, I don't tell you that story because we were remarkable people doing remarkable things. We were just Jesus people trying to do Jesus things. And we understand that if you meet people in their brokenness and you walk with them, that that can make all the difference. And so Jesus says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent means, so consider what I'm saying. So be serious and just change. That's all. Don't throw a pity party. Don't get discouraged. Don't look at, well, I don't do this, or I'm not as good, or those people are better than me. Just be different. Just receive correction from the Lord and be different. In verse 20, he says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and him with me. See, that's a sign of intimacy. That intimacy will be restored. It won't just be a nominal Christian. It'll be a relationship with Jesus. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit on my throne. Sit with me on my throne. Just as I overcame and sat down with my father, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So what do we do? Do we feel guilt and shame because we were born in the U.S.? That we have a lot compared to the rest of the world? Guilt? No. No, not guilt. 
but gratitude and responsibility. And Jesus is saying too often we show neither. Neither gratitude nor responsibility. And so he rebukes us because he loves us. So we think we don't need anything. We think we're all set. And in our wealth, we've become poor. You know, when Emma and Renzo give food to the people in Guatemala who have no food, who have nothing, the first thing they do is try to share it with somebody else. That's what they do. And we try to see how much stuff we can get. Listen to me. God doesn't break us to hurt us. He breaks us to heal us. He breaks us so we can be remolded into Jesus. So be earnest and repent. That's all we have to do. To be serious. Commit to change, to be different. Not to beat ourselves up. But to take an honest assessment. To confess to the Lord and to say, God, I want to be different. I want to show up. Here I am. Use me. We're going to have communion together. We're going to have the, uh, so Jamie's going to come up now and team. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him, and he will with me. See, in this time of communion, we're called to reflect not just that Jesus died, not just remember that sacrifice, but remember that he'll come again. And so it's a perfect time. It's a perfect time to examine ourselves. To look at our lives. Next week we're going to look at some of the excuses we come up with. And I think at times each of us have been guilty of this. Unbelief for a lack of trust and busyness and a lack of priorities. That's what we're going to look at, those excuses that I make. But now I pray that God just prepares our hearts as we have communion together.